Chapter Thirteen of Charlotte Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charlotte Temple by Susanna Rosen. Chapter Thirteen: Cruel Disappointment. What pleasure! cried Mister Eldridge as he stepped into the chaise to go for his granddaughter. What pleasure expands the heart of an old man when he beholds the progeny of a beloved child growing up in every virtue that adorned the minds of her parents? I foolishly thought, some few years since, that every sense of joy was buried in the graves of my dear partner and my son, but my Lucy, by her filial affection, soothed my soul to peace. And this dear Charlotte has twined herself round my heart and opened such new scenes of delight to my view that I almost forget I have ever been unhappy. When the chaise stopped, he alighted with the alacrity of youth. So much do the emotions of the soul influence the body. It was half past eight o'clock. The ladies were assembled in the schoolroom. And Madame Dupont was preparing to offer the morning sacrifice of prayer and praise, when it was discovered that Mademoiselle and Charlotte were missing. She is busy, no doubt," said the governess, "in preparing Charlotte for her little excursion. But pleasure should never make us forget our duty to our Creator. Go, one of you, and bid them both attend prayers. The lady who went to summon them soon returned. And informed the governess that the room was locked, and that she had knocked repeatedly, but obtained no answer. Good heaven! cried Madame Dupont. This is very strange. Turning pale with terror, she went hastily to the door and ordered it to be forced open. The apartment instantly discovered that no person had been in it the preceding night, the beds appearing as though just made. The house was instantly a scene of confusion. The garden, the pleasure grounds, were searched to no purpose. Every apartment rang with the names of Miss Temple and Mademoiselle, but they were too distant to hear, and every face wore the marks of disappointment. Mister Eldridge was sitting in the parlor, eagerly expecting his granddaughter to descend, ready equipped for her journey. He heard the confusion that reigned in the house. He heard the name of Charlotte frequently repeated. "What can be the matter?" said he, rising and opening the door. "I fear some accident has befallen my dear girl." The governess entered. The visible agitation of her countenance discovered that something extraordinary had happened. "Where is Charlotte?" said he. "Why does not my child come to welcome her doting parent?" "Be composed, my dear sir." Said Madame Dupont, "Do not frighten yourself unnecessarily. She is not in the house at present, but as Mademoiselle is undoubtedly with her, she will speedily return in safety, and I hope they will both be able to account for this unseasonable absence in such a manner as shall remove our present uneasiness." "Madame," cried the old man with an angry look. Has my child been accustomed to go out without leave, with no other company or protector than that French woman? 
Pardon me, madam, I mean no reflections on your country, but I never did like Mademoiselle La Rue. I think she was a very improper person to be entrusted with the care of such a girl as Charlotte Temple, or to be suffered to take her from under your immediate protection. You wrong me, Mr. Eldridge, replied she, if you suppose I have ever permitted your granddaughter to go out unless with the other ladies. I would to heaven I could form any probable conjecture concerning her absence this morning, but it is a mystery which her return can alone unravel. Servants were now dispatched to every place where there was the least hope of hearing any tidings of the fugitives, but in vain. Dreadful were the hours of horrid suspense, which Mr. Eldridge passed till twelve o'clock, when that suspense was reduced to a shocking certainty, and every spark of hope, which till then they had indulged, was in a moment extinguished. Mr. Eldridge was preparing, with a heavy heart, to return to his anxiously expecting children, when Madame Dupont received the following note, without either name or date. Miss Temple is well, and wishes to relieve the anxiety of her parents by letting them know she has voluntarily put herself under the protection of a man whose future study shall be to make her happy. Pursuit is needless. The measures taken to avoid discovery are too effectual to be eluded. When she thinks her friends are reconciled to this precipitate step, they may perhaps be informed of her place of residence. Mademoiselle is with her. As Madame Dupont read these cruel lines, she turned pale as ashes, her limbs trembled, and she was forced to call for a glass of water. She loved Charlotte truly, and when she reflected on the innocence and gentleness of her disposition, she concluded that it must have been the advice and machinations of La Rue which led her to this imprudent action. She recollected her agitation at the receipt of her mother's letter, and saw in it the conflict of her mind. "'Does that letter relate to Charlotte?' said Mr. Eldridge, having waited some time in expectation of Madame Dupont's speaking. "'It does,' said she. "'Charlotte is well, but cannot return to-day.' "'Not return, madam?' Where is she? Who will detain her from her fond, expecting parents? You distract me with these questions, Mr. Eldridge. Indeed, I know not where she is, or who has seduced her from her duty. The whole truth now rushed at once upon Mr. Eldridge's mind. She has eloped, then, said he. My child is betrayed. The darling, the comfort of my aged heart is lost. Oh, would to heaven I had died but yesterday! A violent gush of grief in some measure relieved him, and, after several vain attempts, he at length assumed sufficient composure to read the note. And how shall I return to my children? said he. How approach that mansion so late the habitation of peace? Alas, my dear Lucy, how will you support these heart-rendering tidings, or how shall I be enabled to console you, who need so much consolation myself? 
The old man returned to the chaise, but the light step and cheerful countenance were no more. Sorrow filled his heart and guided his motions. He seated himself in the chaise. His venerable head reclined upon his bosom. His hands were folded, his eyes fixed on vacancy, and the large drops of sorrow rolled silently down his cheeks. There was a mixture of anguish and resignation depicted in his countenance, as if he would say, Henceforth, who shall dare to boast his happiness, or even in idea contemplate his treasure, lest, in the very moment his heart is exalting in its own felicity, the object which constitutes that felicity should be torn from him. End of chapter 13 Recording by Susan Burke SueBurkVoice.com